Book six, chapter five of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Chapter five. The great distress the Jews were in upon the conflagration of the holy house, concerning a false prophet and the signs that preceded this destruction. 1. While the holy house was on fire, everything was plundered that came to hand, and ten thousand of those that were caught were slain. Nor was there a commiseration of any age or any reverence of gravity, but children and old men and profane persons and priests were all slain in the same manner, so that this war went round all sorts of men, and brought them to destruction, and as well those that made supplication for their lives as those that defended themselves by fighting. The flame was also carried a long way, and made an echo, together with the groans of those that were slain. And because this hill was high, and the works of the temple were very great, one would have thought the whole city had been on fire. Nor can one imagine anything either greater or more terrible than this noise. For there was at once a shout of the Roman legions, who were marching all together, and a sad clamor of the seditious, who were now surrounded with fire and sword. The people also that were left above were beaten back upon the enemy, and under a great consternation, and made sad moans at the calamity they were under. The multitude also that was in the city joined in this outcry with those that were upon the hill. And besides, many of those that were worn away by the famine, and their mouths almost closed, when they saw the fire of the holy house, they exerted their utmost strength, and break out into groans and outcries again. Para did also return the echo, as well as the mountains round about the city, and augmented the force of the entire noise. Footnote. This Perea, if the word be not mistaken in the copies, cannot well be that Perea which was beyond Jordan, whose mountains were at a considerable distance from Jordan, and much too remote from Jerusalem to join in this echo at the conflagration of the temple. But Perea must be rather some mountains beyond the brook Kedron, as was the Mount of Olives, or some others about such a distance from Jerusalem, which observation is so obvious that it is a wonder our commentators here take no notice of it. And footnote. Yet was the misery itself more terrible than this disorder, for one would have thought that the hill itself, on which the temple stood, was seething hot, as full of fire on every part of it, that the blood was larger in quantity than the fire, and those that were slain were more in number than those that slew them. For the ground did nowhere appear visible for the dead bodies that lay on it, but the soldiers went over heaps of these bodies, as they ran upon such as fled from them. And now it was that the multitude of the robbers were thrust out of the inner court of the temple by the Romans, and had much ado to get into the outward court, and from thence into the city, while the remainder of the populace fled into the cloister of that outer court. As for the priests, some of them plucked up from the holy house the spikes that were upon it, with their bases, which were made of lead, and shot them at the Romans instead of darts. Footnote. Reland, I think, here judges well, when he interprets these spikes, of those that stood on the top of the holy house, with sharp points. They were fixed into lead, to prevent the birds from sitting there, and defiling the holy house. For such spikes there were now upon it, as Josephus himself hath already assured us. End footnote. 
but then as they gained nothing by so doing, and as the fire burst out upon them, they retired to the wall that was eight cubits broad, and there they tarried. Yet did two of these of eminence among them, who might have saved themselves by going over to the Romans, or have borne up with courage and taken their fortune with the others, throw themselves into the fire, and were burnt together with the holy house. Their names were Maris, the son of Belgus, and Joseph, the son of Dalius. 2. And now the Romans, judging that it was in vain to spare what was round about the holy house, burnt all those places, as also the remains of the cloisters and the gates, two excepted, the one on the east side and the other on the south, both which, however, they burnt afterward. They also burnt down the treasury chambers, in which was an immense quantity of money, and an immense number of garments, and other precious goods there reposited, and, to speak all in a few words, there it was that the entire riches of the Jews were heaped up together, while the rich people had there built themselves chambers to contain such furniture. The soldiers also came to the rest of the cloisters that were in the outer court of the temple, whither the women and children and a great mixed multitude of the people fled, in number about six thousand. But before Caesar had determined anything about these people, or given the commanders any orders relating to them, the soldiers were in such a rage that they set that cloister on fire, by which means it came to pass that some of these were destroyed by throwing themselves down headlong, and some were burnt in the cloisters themselves. Nor did any one of them escape with his life. A false prophet was the occasion of these people's destruction, who had made a public proclamation in the city that very day, that God commanded them to get upon the temple, and that there they should receive miraculous signs of their deliverance. Footnote. Reland here takes notice that these Jews who had despised the true prophet were deservedly abused and deluded by these false ones. And footnote. Now there was then a great number of false prophets, suborned by the tyrants, to impose on the people, who denounced this to them, that they should wait for deliverance from God, and this was in order to keep them from deserting, and that they might be buoyed up above fear and care by such hopes. Now a man that is in adversity does easily comply with such promises, for when such a seducer makes him believe that he shall be delivered from these miseries which oppress him, then it is that the patient is full of hopes of such his deliverance. 3. Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers, and such as belied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident, and did so plainly foretell their future desolation, but, like men infatuated, without either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. Thus there was a star resembling a sword, which stood over the city, and a comet, that continued a whole year. Footnote. Whether Josephus means that this star was different from that comet which lasted a whole year, I cannot certainly determine. His words most favor their being different one from another. And footnote. Thus also before the Jews' rebellion, and before those commotions which preceded the war, when the people were come in great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, on the eighth day of the month Xanthicus, Nisan, and at the ninth hour of the night, so great a light shone round the altar and the holy house, that it appeared to be bright daytime, which lasted for half an hour. Footnote. Since Josephus still uses the Syro-Macedonian month Xanthicus for the Jewish month Nisan, 
This eighth, or as Nicephorus reads it, this ninth of Xanthicus or Nisan, was almost a week before the Passover, on the fourteenth, about which time we learn from St. John that many used to go, quote, out of the country to Jerusalem to purify themselves, and quote, John 11, verse 55, with chapter 12, verse 1, in agreement with Josephus also, book 5, chapter 3, section 1. And it might well be that in the sight of these this extraordinary light might appear, and footnote. This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful, but was so interpreted by the sacred scribes as to portend those events that followed immediately upon it. At the same festival also, a heifer, as she was led by the high priest to be sacrificed, brought forth a lamb in the midst of the temple. Moreover, the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, footnote, this here seems to be the court of the priests, and footnote, which was of brass and vastly heavy, and had been with difficulty shut by twenty men, and rested upon a basis armed with iron, and had bolts fastened very deep into the firm floor, which was there made of one entire stone, was seen to be opened of its own accord about the sixth hour of the night. Now those that kept watch in the temple came here upon running to the captain of the temple, and told him of it, who then came up thither, and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. This also appeared to the vulgar to be a very happy prodigy, as if God did thereby open them the gate of happiness. But the men of learning understood it, that the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord, and that the gate was opened for the advantage of their enemies. So these publicly declared that the signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. Besides these, a few days after the feast, on the one and twentieth day of the month Artemisius, Jair, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable, were it not related by those that saw it, and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For, before sun-setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Moreover, at that feast which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was, to perform their sacred ministrations, they said that, in the first place, they felt a quaking and heard a great noise, and after that they heard a sound as if a great multitude, saying, quote, Let us remove hence, end quote. But, what is still more terrible, there was one Jesus, the son of Ananus, a plebeian and a husbandman, who, four years before the war began, and at a time when the city was in very great peace and prosperity, came to that feast whereon it is our custom for every one to make tabernacles to God in the temple. Footnote. Both Reland and Havercamp in this place alter the natural punctuation and sense of Josephus, and this contrary to the opinion of Valacillus and Dr. Hudson, lest Josephus should say that the Jews built booths or tents within the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles which the latter rabbins will not allow to have been the ancient practice. But then, since it is expressly told us in Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 16, that in still elder times, quote, the Jews made booths in the courts of the house of God, end quote, at that festival, Josephus may well be permitted to say the same. And indeed, the modern rabbins are of very small authority on all such matters of remote antiquity, end footnote. Began on a sudden to cry aloud, quote, 
A voice from the east, a voice from the west, a voice from the four winds, a voice against Jerusalem and the holy house, a voice against the bridegrooms and the brides, and a voice against this whole people. This was his cry, as he went about by day and by night, in all the lanes of the city. However, certain of the most eminent among the populace had great indignation at this dire cry of his, and took up the man, and gave him a great number of severe stripes. Yet did not he either say anything for himself, or anything peculiar to those that chastised him, but still went on with the same words which he cried before. Hereupon our rulers, supposing, as the case proved to be, that this was a sort of divine fury in the man, brought him to the Roman procurator, where he was whipped till his bones were laid bare. Yet he did not make any supplication for himself, nor shed any tears, but turning his voice to the most lamentable tone possible, at every stroke of the whip his answer was, Woe, woe to Jerusalem! And when Albinus, for he was then our procurator, asked him who he was and whence he came, and why he uttered such words, he made no manner of reply to what he said, but still did not leave off his melancholy ditty, till Albinus took him to be a madman and dismissed him. Now, during all the time that passed before the war began, this man did not go near any of the citizens, nor was seen by them while he said so. But he every day uttered these lamentable words, as if it were his premeditated vow, Woe, woe to Jerusalem! Nor did he give ill words to any of those that beat him every day, nor good words to those that gave him food. But this was his reply to all men, and indeed no other than a melancholy presage of what was to come. This cry of his was the loudest at the festivals, and he continued this ditty for seven years and five months, without growing hoarse, or being tired therewith, till the very time that he saw his presage in earnest fulfilled in our siege, when it ceased. For as he was going round upon the wall, he cried out with his utmost force, Woe, woe to the city again, and to the people, and to the holy house! and just as he added at the last, Woe, woe to myself also, there came a stone out of one of the engines, and smote him, and killed him immediately, and as he was uttering the very same presages, he gave up the ghost. 4. Now if any one consider these things, he will find that God takes care of mankind, and by all ways possible foreshadows to our race what is for their preservation but that men perish by these miseries which they madly and voluntarily bring upon themselves. For the Jews, by demolishing the tower of Antonia, had made their temple four square, while at the same time they had it written in their sacred oracles, quote, that then should their city be taken, as well as their holy house, when once their temple should become four square. End quote. But now, what did the most elevate them in undertaking this war, was an ambiguous oracle that was also found in their sacred writings, how, quote, about that time, one from their country should become governor of the habitable earth, end quote. The Jews took this prediction to belong to themselves in particular, and many of the wise men were thereby deceived in their determination. Now this oracle certainly denoted the government of Vespasian, who was appointed emperor in Judea. However, it is not possible for men to avoid fate, although they see it beforehand. But these men interpreted some of these signals according to their own pleasure, and some of them they utterly despised, until their madness was demonstrated, 
both by the taking of their city and their own destruction. End of Book 6, Chapter 5